Coming to you live from the VIC Radio Studios in Ithaca, New York, it's the Asman and Budick Show. Here are your hosts, Jake Asman and Dan Budick. And what is going on, everybody? This is indeed the Asman and Budick Show. Jake Asman alongside Dan Budick. It's Oscar Sunday night. We're up against the Oscars. We've handled this before. We seem to be up against the Oscars. Not our first rodeo with the, with the Oscars. Each and every year we handle the Oscars. We handled the Grammys, I believe, two weeks ago. So, you know, we can hold our own against award shows. And we have our own sports Oscars coming up later on in the program. So make sure you stick with us for that. But so much to get to in the world of sports. We're here for another two hours here on VICRadio.org. we got Jake Chernock with us, Brett Mayerson, Ben Carlton, and Jason Hannigan helping us out. Another great weekend in sports, and we're another week closer to March Madness. We're another week closer to, really, the start of the NFL offseason. But for just this weekend, we had some basketball games, and we had, really, the end of the NBA trade deadline on Thursday. And, unfortunately, as Jet fans, is where we begin the show tonight. We had the unfortunate event of Nick Mangle getting cut by our beloved New York Jets, a move that many thought was going to happen. But unfortunately, that's part of the business of the NFL where you cut a guy that's an all-time great Jet without really much fanfare. He's going to be a free agent, and the Jets are going to have a new starting center for the first time since the 2005 season coming up in 2017. And really, when the Jets drafted Nick Mangold and they drafted Nick Ferguson, uh, DeBrickishaw Ferguson, excuse me, in the first round of the 2006 draft, that was the beginning of that O-line, that offensive line that really uh, was a backbone of that Jets team for years and it feels like, man, with Mangold now released and he's out of the organization, it's the end of an era, so to speak, of Jets football as far as dominant offensive linemen. And now with DeBrickishaw retiring before last season and now Nick Mangold getting released 11 seasons with the Jets, it sort of feels like the end of an era when you're talking about that Jets offensive line. It's the end of really a great uh, 10 years of, of, of Nick Mangold being a part of the Jets. And I think unequivocally he's the best center the Jets ever had. I mean, the, the, the way that offensive line played, he was the backbone of that f- offensive line for years. And it's a shame he never really had a great quarterback. Snap, he was never snapping the football to a great quarterback. Otherwise, I think the Jets would have had a lot more success over the last 11 years. But we'll miss Nick greatly. I, I, I mean, how can you replace Nick Mangold? You're talking about a Jets legend, someone that will obviously be in the ring of honor. And what's interesting about the Jets and their centers, you know, we always talk about with the Jets how they've never had a quarterback. Well, they've had great centers. Kevin Mawai was right before yep. Nick Mangold. And now for the first time, if you go all the way back to 1997, the Jets will have a starting center that's not Kevin Mawai or Nick Mangold. Kevin Mawai has been a Hall of Fame finalist the past couple of years. And Nick Mangold, a lot of people feel, could one day be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. So there's a good chance that the Jets... We'll have two Hall of Fame centers you know, within the next five to ten years, possibly. Who knows? But you look at Nick Mangle and his career with the Jets, he was such an easy guy to root for. It's a shame that it had to come to an end the way that it does a lot of times in football, where you just cut someone, you move on. We've seen this happen so many different times with legends of a certain franchise. And unfortunately for the Jets, they're part of the, they're part of the NFL. It's a business. And they had to cut them. They saved $9 million on the cap by doing so. But Nick Mangle, it's a lot of money. Nick Mangle was probably the easiest guy in the Jets to root for year after year. He left it all out there. He was a lunch pail type of player. When you looked at Nick Mangle, you knew you were going to get the best effort from him. He was a fan favorite. He really connected well with the New York scene. And he's a guy that's going to be missed from a leadership standpoint and just from having that familiarity with your player out there. The Jets don't have that many players that you could say have been on the team for 10 years. You know, Revis left and came back. David Harris is now the longest tenured New York Jet, and his future is uncertain as far as if he'll be on the team in 2017. So Nick Mangle was always a guy that you can count on being there year after year, and it's sad to see it come to an end. Yeah, I think it saw a stat. He played in 167 games, started all 167 of them, and this guy was a rock, and pretty much stayed healthy throughout a lot of his Jets tenure. He had a few injuries here and there this season. As we know, he was he was just hurt by injuries. So you understand from the cap situation, but what a high-character guy, too, and Nick Mangle. You talked about how liked he was in the locker room. He was really the leader of that Jets offensive line for years, even though they had uh, they had some, some big names in there, and they, they were, at one time, 
had the best offensive line in the National Football League. It was always really mangled as the leader of that group, and, and he will definitely be missed. And I think it's it just another step into the rebuilding of the New York Jets now, and they've got to find a way. Uh, Mike McCagnan's got to find a way to rebuild this offensive line because if they're going to have any success, no matter who the quarterback is, no matter who the receivers are, they have to protect the quarterback. And I think that's one thing we maybe took a little bit for granted, and I don't want to say just us, but Jets fans might have taken for granted how good Nick Mangold was and how good the Jets' offensive line were. I mean, if you could contrib- contribute uh, a lot of that Mark Sanchez success as a New York Jet to the fact that he was playing behind one of the best offensive lines in football. Similar to the situation Dak Prescott is in now in uh, in uh, with, with, with Dallas. Not saying, not comparing uh, Dak to Dak Prescott to, to Mark Sanchez, but just playing behind such a great offensive line and as a young quarterback having room to make plays and, and, and let plays develop. I'm sure if you ask Mark Sanchez, what's the biggest reason for your success with the Jets, he'll tell you the running game and the offensive line were huge. Nick Mangold, a seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, 164 games played in his career. He started all 164. Which is unbelievable. All with the Jets. He was always healthy until this year. He battled some injuries. And the Jets record without Nick Mangold, historically, I know he hasn't missed that much time, but I remember in the 2011 season, they were without him for three or four games, they lost all of those games. And that's when the Jets were still borderline championship contenders that season, coming off two straight trips to the AFC Championship game. Nick Mangle, in his prime, was as good of a center as anyone. You know, he went toe-to-toe with Vince Wilfork in Vince Wilfork's prime and neutralized one of the great nose tackles of our generation. That's how good Nick Mangold was. It's a shame to see him go. When we saw DeBrickishaw Ferguson retire a year ago, Mangold says he still wants to play. He'll be playing for a different team, and that's kind of where the Jets are right now. They're trying to get younger. They're trying to rebuild, and we've already seen them cut players like Nick Falk, who's their kicker. Now Mangold is gone. We've seen them kind of go in the direction of trying to clear out some cap. You knew Brino Giacomini was going to be a cap cut. He's gone. Ryan Clady gone as well. The Jets are trying to clear cap, get younger, and now they have about $25 million and could have more once they cut Darrell Revis, which it looks like that's going to happen at some point. And then the debate about Brandon Marshall. What do you do with him and his $7.5 million cap hit? So the Jets, even though they cut Nick Mangold, there's still a lot of work to be done before we get to that March 9th start of NFL free agency in a new league year. So the real question begins, is, is this a situation where you think that Mike McCagnan and Jets Brass are going to rebuild this offensive line through free agency, or are they going to try to rebuild it through the draft over the next couple of years? And and hopefully when the Jets are competitive again and have a, a big-time quarterback in place to win, you know that offensive line will be there. What kind of route is Mike McCagnan going to go in? And I think you know we've said it on the show, this offseason is so important for the future, the short-term and long-term future of the New York Jets. What will McCagnan do at the quarterback spot? What will he do about Revis? What will he do about Brandon Marshall? And what is he going to do about this offensive line now, really? You have holes on the left and right side. you got holes at center. What are the Jets going to do to fill that offensive line to try to put a competitive team on the field Hopefully next year, if not next year, the year after. This is a very important free agency, and I think come March 9th, the the microscope's really going to shine on Mike McCagnan and the job he does in free agency, and then, of course, when we hit the April draft. No, no doubt about it. And it's the biggest thing with the Jets going in is what direction do they take? Do they try and make splashy free agency They're really at the fork in the road. And bring in a gap quarterback to try and go for it again this year? Or are they going to take a much more strategic and long-term approach and try and rebuild? But we've had this debate on the show before. When you're trying to rebuild and you're going to not be a good football team, how do you keep your job if you're on the hot seat, if you're Todd Bowles and Mike McCagan? There's that fine line of trying to be good enough to keep your job for another year while also trying to rebuild and let younger players get an opportunity to play and ultimately make mistakes while they hopefully get better. It's a fine line the Jets are trying to, to cross. And what they do in free agency and what they do in the draft will tell you a lot about what the direction that this team is going in. And they don't have a quarterback. The quarterback of the future, who knows if it's on the roster right now? Your gut probably tells you it's not. What do they do with that position? And it starts with the draft. And by getting rid of Nick Mangold, it signals they're trying to get younger. They're trying to get rid of players that are up there in age and that have high cap hits. You save money with Nick Mangold, but what do you do with that money now? What are you doing in free agency and how do you improve this team? And if you're going to try and improve this team, 
what do you do at the quarterback spot? Because if you improve the rest of the roster and the quarterback stinks, what did you really do this offseason? Well, that's right. And, what, and, that, and I think that's why it's so important. What are the Jets going to do at quarterback? Uh, is Jay Cutler a guy we're going to see as, as a member of Gang Green next year? What are the Jets going to do at quarterback? What are they going to do on the offensive line? And who's next to get cut? You know, Revis, it looks like, is next on that ladder, on that chain to, to, to get a, to be a cap casualty and get cut. Are they going to cut Brandon Marshall? I know when we spoke to Brandon uh, when we were in uh, Houston, he made it clear he wanted to be with the Jets, and he wanted to be a part of the Jets' future. Are the Jets going to want Brandon Marshall at $7.5 million, which is really a bargain for Brandon Marshall? I feel like if he was on the free agent market, you're talking about a lot more than $7.5 million uh, on, the, on the line for a guy with the skill set and the type of receiver that Brandon Marshall is. What are the Jets going to do? They're really at that fork in the road here. They could go a lot of different directions, and Mike McCagnin's got to hit the right spot. He's got to push the right buttons this offseason because the Jets' future really depends on it. They tried to win this past year with Fitz going into the season and ride off that kind of and that kind of great momentum they had after the 2015 season, barely missing the playoffs. It didn't work. Now you got to press the reset button, and you got to push the right buttons if you're Mike McCagnin, because if he doesn't, they're gonna, in a year, there's going to be a new head coach and a new general manager in here trying to fix it. So hopefully McCagnin push, pushes the right buttons and gets the Jets on the right track. Whatever they do, Nick Mangle will not be a part of it. It's still weird to see a new center out there and not see number 74 out there for the New York Jets, but that's the reality of the situation what the Jets do from here will be telling. 607-274-1842 is the phone number to get involved. It's the Asbin and Butick Show on VICradio.org. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, make sure you call in and Josh Mitnick writes in the comment section, Resign Fitztragic should help the Jets maintain that same <laughs> keel of consistency for years to come. Oh, He's yeah. right about that. If the Jets want to be consistently bad, they'll re-sign Ryan Fitzpatrick, which I would be shocked if any team signs Ryan Fitzpatrick to be their starter at all this year. He's likely looking at backup money, and that's his future. But we spent enough time on the show the last year talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's time to move on. And when we come back, we have plenty more to do. Once again, the sports Oscars presented by the Asman and Butick Show coming up later on. So make sure you stick with us. When we come back, more sports talk right here on the Asman and Butick Show. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gusbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit GusBuster.com and get your GusBuster today. You are listening to the Asman and Budic Show on VIC Radio. Tune in radio and podcast it on ICTV.org and iTunes. Back here on the Asman and Budic Show, 1018, taking you until midnight, Dan Budic. Alongside Jake Asman, got Jake Chernop on the board op. Sunday, February 26th. We're, we're, we're front and center against the Oscars going on right now. Where you have the sports Oscar picks coming up later on in the show in the second hour. Just talked about little Nick Mangold, unfortunately, cut by the Jets. We're going to miss Nick. We really will. Jolly old St. Nick. Jolly old St. Nick. We will miss him. And sports Oscars, just to give everyone an idea of what we mean by that, if you're unsure. Best picture, for example, we'll give you one right now. The Cubs winning the World Series would be the equivalent of like the best picture. You know, we have a lot of different categories here. We have a lot of things to break down. How about best director? Could it be Theo Epstein of the Cubs for doing what he did, getting them a championship? And they're not just Cub Awards, by the way. We have other awards. Those are too. just two that have to do with the Chicago Jerry Cubs. Jerry Reese, possibly for his job with the Giants, turning them around to an 11-win football team. We have a lot of different awards, but we'll do the sports Best version. sound editing, yes, it's, yeah, that's, a, that's sound, an award. That is, that is an award. It is in there. Best sound editing is in there, so we will have that Best later horror on. movie, too. Great one. They might have something to do with the Super Bowl that we just watched. And if you're listening on VICradio.org and you hear that Super Bowl promo, we could tell you it was fun. We were down there. It went well. And uh, that's a bit old. It's a bit outdated. But it's still playing here on the Vic. And we love it. We love the Vic. It's still playing. It's still in the rotation. 274-1842, 607-274-1842. Number to get involved. If you're not watching the Oscars, you're probably watching us because why wouldn't you? Let's get to the NBA trade deadline. I mentioned it briefly at the top. 
not much happened. We're going to be spending a lot of time talking about maybe what could have been, maybe why these moves didn't happen, but all the hype about Paul George and Jimmy Butler and Carmelo Anthony and even a guy like Brooke Lopez of the Brooklyn Nets, none of these guys got traded, and it was a very uneventful trade deadline. The biggest move was probably P.J. Tucker getting dealt, and other than that, not much really happened because the big move happened when we were on the air a week ago with Boogie Cousins going to the Pelicans. Very big letdown from a Knicks standpoint. I didn't think Melo was going to get moved. I've been saying the whole time I didn't think they'd find a trade partner, and I didn't think he'd waive that no trade. But it looked like there was a good chance that Paul George and Jimmy Butler might get moved, and that didn't happen either. I wasn't surprised the Knicks didn't trade Melo. I agree with you. But I thought they were going to find a way to get rid of D. Rose, uh, trade Derrick Rose, get something back for him. I didn't think there was a shot he'd be back next year. I, I still don't can't see it really happening. I know through his agent he, ex- he expressed that he wants to stay with the Knicks. I thought maybe we'd see Kylo Quinn traded. I thought maybe we'd see Courtney Lee traded. I thought the Knicks were definitely going to make a move in some capacity at the deadline. A little surprise. They couldn't pull anything together. And also the Boston Celtics. With all those picks, the Nets picks, they were poised to get, you know, Jimmy Butler. Uh, looked like the Jimmy Butler move was going to be made, and it just it never fell George. through. Paul George, a guy, even Boogie Cousins, before he went to uh, the, the Pelicans, there was rumors surrounding him and a connection maybe sending him to Boston. But Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics stayed put. They didn't make a move. They didn't improve the roster. And, you know, what does that say about the Cavaliers and how big a favorite they are in the Eastern Conference and the fact that maybe Danny Ainge feels that a big trade right now is not going to put the Boston Celtics over the top. It's not going to put them as the best team in the Eastern Conference. And why make a trade just for the sake of making the trade? You nailed it right there. I think the reason why the Celtics just did not make a move is, you know, maybe they feel that even bringing in a Jimmy Butler or, or a Paul George or DeMarcus Cousins, Still doesn't make you better than Cleveland. Which is amazing to think about. about the NBA, that the number two seed, Boston Celtics, could have acquired Jimmy Butler, Paul George, or DeMarcus Cousins. Chose not to for one reason or another because they likely don't feel that that would make them better. They're the two seed and acquiring a top ten NBA talent. Either one, either one of those three guys, any one of them, would have been good enough to make any team better, to make the Celtics better. And they feel that even acquiring a Paul George, a Butler, or a DeMarcus Cousins is still not going to make them good enough to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in a seven-game series. And it just shows you the dominance of LeBron James and why year after year, you, know, you can argue an MVP for a James Harden or a Russell Westbrook, but the best player in the league has always been LeBron James. And as long as he's still playing at this level for the Cavs, no team feels like they're going to be able to beat them. And you and got just a reality and it's a re- and I think it's a real it's a real uh uh, uh thing. I think it's definitely real. I don't think Danny Ainge was just sitting there saying, well, we could get better, but you know, let's not make a deal. I think he realistically thought, why make a trade right now for a Paul George? Why make a trade right now for a Jimmy Butler? Why make a trade right now for a DeMarcus Cousins when... You're right, Jake. It's not going to put you over the top. It's not going to put you ahead of Cleveland. Does it give you a shot? Yeah, it gives you a shot. But are you giving up all those draft picks just for a shot? I understand what the Celtics and Danny Ainge are doing here, holding the draft picks, valuing them, and then making selections, and then hopefully, you know, maybe three, four years down the line, LeBron loses a step or two, and the East becomes open again, and the Celtics have a real shot. So I see the the uh, the angle that Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics are going in, but it does speak a lot about the NBA and about how there's just no parity in the league. The fact that a team, and you're right, to acquire the Celtics had a realistic shot, and it was their decision. They could have acquired three of the best players in the league. They definitely could have acquired Boogie Cousins. Oh, I, mean, I think they could. The, the, they had the assets to acquire all three of these but guys. They wanted, e- either one, not all three, but either one of these DeMarcus guys. Boogie Cousins, though, they could have had him. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at what we were talking about this on the show a week ago when this story broke, when he got traded. We were talking about what the Pelicans gave up, and we said, wow, they only gave up one first round pick. I mean, the Nets traded Bardanovich or whatever his name is. I mean, and they got a first round pick for him. You know, I mean, you look at what the the Kings traded Cousins for. They didn't get much in return, and the Celtics chose not to make that deal. Not because I think they dislike DeMarcus Cousins. I think it's more what we were just talking about. They don't think that no matter who they bring, and they value those picks, they would be better than the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that's the problem with the NBA. I've been saying this since day one of the season. We could do an NBA Finals preview right now. Who you got, Golden State or Cleveland? Because unless something happens to LeBron James. 
And I know he had an illness last night, strep throat. He didn't play. It cost me some money, but you know, <laughs> besides the point, this Cavaliers team is going to the finals. You know, it's a foregone conclusion. That's how NBA it executives is. in the Eastern Conference feel. And if the Boston Celtics are a couple games out of even being the one seed, feel that bringing in a Butler or a Paul George or a Boogie Cousins doesn't make them that much better. I just you got to tip your cat and say, you know, LeBron James is the best player in the sport. And until he diminishes his play, and it has shown you no signs that's happening. Cavs are the overwhelming favorites to once again go back to the finals. And another thing, just going with the parrot in the NBA, you look at the guys that, you know, get cut or, or hit free agency after the deadline period. You talk about a uh, Bogut, uh, Deron Williams. Where do they sign? It's the same thing. It's every the year. same thing every year. And I, but I think that specifically just speaks to the fact that, and we talked about it off the air at, at the apartment earlier tonight. There is no incentive for a team like the Warriors, or a team like the Cavs to go out and make a deal to improve. And you know what's funny? There's no incentive. No, and Cleveland decided, you know what, we'll bring in Kyle Korver, then we'll wait, J.R. Smith gets hurt, Kevin Love gets hurt, they're going to get both those guys back, oh yeah, in the meantime, we'll bring in Darren Williams for the veterans minimum, and we'll bring in Andrew Bogut, who's going to get bought out from Philadelphia and likely go sign with the Cavs. And they just added two great guys that, you know what, any other team would have to trade for those type of players. Cleveland, because they have LeBron James, or Golden State, because players want to go there to take less money, a la David West, who's done it, and the list goes on and on of guys the Warriors have been able to bring in. I mean, there's one or two teams in this league that can recruit guys that get bought out of their contracts. They go right to Cleveland or Golden State, or in the past we've seen the Spurs do it, or Miami with Ray Allen in the past. I mean, you have guys that take less money to go play for those teams because they want to. They want to. But it's not even. They want to win a ring. But I think they they could get one if they go there. And the most amazing thing is, you're not even talking about an off-season move. We're talking about an in-season move. Deron Williams, a guy circulated with the Mavericks, a bad team, not going anywhere this year, didn't think would be much of a factor. And Net fans are going to cringe if he were playing with the Cleveland <laughs> And now Deron Williams not only gets a chance to play for a contender, but is on the defending NBA champions. He's probably going to go to the NBA Finals. Oh, well, he's no it, it, going to vacation in June. He'll be no, playing basketball. And it just goes to show you this guy, for the veterans minimum, hits free agency after the deadline, right around the deadline, and here he gets a chance to play for a championship contender. We saw this a year ago with Joe Johnson. When Joe Johnson got bought out, I believe, by the Brooklyn Nets, and look where he went. It's the same thing every time. These teams, they have an opportunity to make themselves better, and by these teams, it's either Cleveland or Golden State because that's what the NBA has become. If you're not the Golden State Warriors or the Cleveland Cavaliers, your season's ending before June. That's just the reality of it. You know, the NBA Finals are going to go on, and if you're not one of those two teams, you're not going to be in it. And maybe the Spurs have an outside chance at picking off the Warriors. But let's be realistic here. The Golden State Warriors have lost nine games this year. They're going to have the best record in the league. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, they coast through the regular season because they know it doesn't mean anything. I mean, last year they didn't have home court advantage in the finals, and they came back down 3-1 and won, and won you know, game seven on the road. So at the end of the day, we could do an NBA Finals preview right now. And we <laughs> thought maybe this trade deadline would be interesting if the Celtics got a Paul George or a Jimmy Butler. Just to make, shake things up a little something bit. something would happen. But the biggest move was Boogie Cousins, and though that's a great move for what the Pelicans are trying to do going forward, the best they could do this year is get them the eighth seed where they're going to lose in four or five games to the Golden State Warriors in round one. That's the fact. That's that the is the fact. We talked about the Knicks. They stayed put with Carmelo. We said we didn't think that necessarily Carmelo was going to be on the move. Derrick Rose, though. Are you surprised they didn't get a deal done for Derrick Rose? I am, because it, it felt like, unlike Carmelo, the Derrick Rose thing, actually, it felt like it had some traction. A, he didn't have a no trade. B, he was an expiring contract. And see, it just felt like the Knicks were really eager to try and move him because he doesn't really fit with the development of Porzingis. Him and Carmelo Anthony are, bo- are both high-volume shooters that both play positions on the court where, you know, especially at the point guard spot, you want a guy that can pass your great pa- your, your great power forward in Chris Stapps Porzingis. And obviously Melo is a scorer, so you didn't need a Derrick Rose. You needed maybe another pass for his point guard. Ricky Rubio would have made sense. Whether or not you think he's the answer long term, he signed at a pretty reasonable rate, and I thought that there'd be you know a deal to be made there. It never happened, and of course Phil Jackson will speak to the media, so you can't ask him. Why no, well, oh, he did speak to the media no, this weekend. Of course he did. Saturdays are for the Sabbath, not for the boys. Not for the boys. Saturdays are for the Sabbath. So that was Phil's All comment. Out there. Th- that was that was Phil's comment. 
post-trade deadline for the Knicks. They didn't make a move, but he announced that Saturdays are for the Sabbath. You just, they would do something. <laughs> and, and you mentioned Courtney Lee. You mentioned Kyle O'Quinn. I thought the Knicks would try and do something to either unload some salary cap or try and bring in some draft picks. They did nothing, so now they're going to lose Derrick Rose likely at the end of the year, and I don't care whether his agent says that he wants to stay in I mean, York. there's no way he's coming back. The Knicks aren't going to give him a max contract, and Rose, to his credit, has been healthy for most of this year. It hasn't been injuries. It just really hasn't worked out. The Knicks have not been a good team this year. We know that. What happens, he leaves, now you get his cap space, but we've seen it. The way the Knicks have operated the last 10 years, what great free agents coming here when they can go to the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Golden State Warriors or another big market team that's closer to winning Even the Even Boston at this the point. Knicks. Yeah, Boston's a very attractive place to go play. And at the end of the day, you know they're going to lose D. Rose, and then what do they do with that cap space? I was hoping they'd move them against something, and they didn't do it. So now this is your Knicks team, people. Can they sneak into the playoffs as an eight seed? You hope so at this point, but you know what? Every loss gets them closer to a lottery pick. They'll have like a one percent chance at the top pick, and is that better than being the eight seed? I don't know. You tell me. I'm not going to root against my own team. You know, when Melo's taking a buzzer beater last night for the win, you know, I was excited that he hit it. I wasn't going, oh, please miss, so we get a better draft pick. You know, in the moment, you root for the Knicks, and if they lose, you say, you know what? It helps him in the long term. So how do you now? You just look at the season, you chalk it up, and go. Whatever happens, happens. I suppose. And my next question is: Now that D Rose is an expiring contract, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. For all intents and purposes, he won't be back with the Knicks. The Knicks aren't. I don't think, and I don't think we're in agreement here. Going to cough up the money and the years it would take to keep Derrick Rose. So how do you evaluate the point guard position going forward after this season for the Knicks? Because their point guard of the future isn't on the roster. So what does Phil Jackson do? How do they fill that void at point guard next year and find someone that's a better chemistry to go alongside Chris Porzingis? What is the answer at point guard for the Knicks? It could be in the draft. It could be via free agency. I mean, they're going to have money to spend. They're not going to get Chris Paul to come here, though. They're not going to be able to get someone of, of that type of player. I mean, the history of the Knicks has shown you that. So what do they do at that position? It's a good question. Could they bring D- Derek Rose back? Maybe, but not at the salary that he's going to want. So they'd have to come to some sort of an agreement there. You got to see how the rest of the season plays out. If they sneak into the playoffs, maybe all of a sudden Derrick Rose could come back at the right price. I don't know, but what I do know is I was very surprised, just like you were, that the Knicks didn't do anything at the deadline to either get them better for this season, which would not have made any sense. This team is going nowhere. They've shown you that. But at least unload some of these contracts to either clear cap or bring in young assets and draft picks, and they chose to not do that. So Phil Jackson, he's not speaking to the press other than uh, someone that asked him what Saturday Saturdays are for. for the Sabbath. And that's what we got with the Knicks right now. I just, I'm amazed, though, they didn't make any move with the way this season has gone. And I understand the mellow, not trading mellow. It was unrealistic that they were going to find a partner and get mellow to trade and everyone to be happy and get a deal done. That was very unlikely. And you know what it is, too? When you hear about a trade of a player like Carmelo Anthony and you hear about it for two months and nothing ends up happening, you know, more times than not, it's all speculation, it's all talk. And the biggest thing with mellow compared to any other situation. Melo is the only player in the NBA right now besides LeBron James that has a full no-trade clause. He wasn't going anywhere. He clearly wants to stay in New York, and in the right situation arose. Maybe he would have waived his no-trade clause for one team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and that wasn't going to happen. Kevin Love's hurt anyway, and he would have been the only player that could have really orchestrated that deal. And if you really broke it down... How much better would Cleveland be with Ke- with Carmelo Anthony than Kevin Love? It doesn't make him that much better well, it, at all. And which is why I think they weren't really into making that move. And I agree with you. The only way that was going to work is Kevin Love coming here. It's just there were too many moving parts. It wasn't going to happen. But just going back to my original point, I'm really shocked they didn't make any moves to acquire draft picks to let to let go of an expiring contract in Derrick Rose. It just didn't make much sense with. With the way the the Rose deal happened, going for it this year, clearly an attempt to get the Knicks into the playoffs. I think at this point it was safe to say the Knicks are not going to be a playoff team. Yeah, there's a chance they can get in as an eighth seed. It's not out of the question. But most likely the New York Knicks are not headed for postseason basketball. So why not make a move? Why not try to find a deal? I just thought Phil was going to make a move involving someone not named Carmelo Anthony. It didn't happen. But again, the Knicks... You know, I don't have any trust. It goes back to the conversation we had, I believe, last week or the week before, and the fact that we have no trust in Phil Jackson to make any trades. We don't trust Phil Jackson to go out there and find the right deal for Derrick Rose. Do we think that has something to do with it, that just Phil Jackson is just not a good 
trader? I'll tell you what. A Not a good negotiator? GM, a great GM probably finds a way to make that trade. I mean, you, you would say, think so. And you could say, oh, that's unfair to put that on Phil. You don't know the scenario. But you know what? Phil doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt when you look at his previous trades, and they've all been disasters. So I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Derrick Rose was an asset that could have been dealt to a team, and if it was Minnesota, the team that you could have dealt him to, fine. Work out a deal and get it done. The Knicks didn't get it done. And then you have conflicting reports that leak out, oh, you know, Minnesota backed out late, or the Knicks were then willing to just do a one-for-one at the end of it, and then they ran out of time. I mean, whatever you want to They ran out of time. When do you ever hear that? Phil Jackson doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt anymore. And, you know, it's disappointing they didn't do anything because now at this point you mentioned playoffs for the Knicks. Well, the Pistons right now are the eighth seed at 28-31. and 31. The Indiana Pacers are 30-29, and 29, and the Bulls are 30-29. and 29. So the best the Knicks could probably get, all things considered, is the sixth seed. The Knicks record 24-35. and 35. I don't know if they're going to get back to 500 at some point this year. So you better hope that the eighth seed is a team that stays below 500. Right now, once again, it's the Pistons at 28-31. and 31. So the Knicks are about four games back of the eighth seed right now. And they got so many teams in front of them, including the Hornets, the Bucks, and the Heat. It's not going to be easy. And at this point, they kept the team together. I'm not going to root against them. I hope they win every game. But, but why? My at, thing at is... At this point, you know, at best, you're hoping for an eight seed. And, and I agree with you. And that's why I just didn't understand... Why not making a move? And it goes back, I think, to the point we were just talking about. Phil Jackson is just not good at making trades. Every trade he's made with the Knicks hasn't worked out. This Rose trade, I, you know, I know they didn't give up much. They did give up Jerry and Grant. At the end of the day, they're going to get one year of Derrick Rose, and he's going to walk free. You get the cap money, but you have no, and you have nothing. You have nothing to show for it. I just felt they should have went out and made a deal involving Derrick Rose to get something back for it, to have something to show or following this Courtney season. Lee or Kyle, it, well, yeah, team friendly deal. Do something to get a pick, an extra pick, and a very loaded draft. It class. just it, it made no sense to stay put for the Knicks. I understand they weren't going to acquire much talent to get better, but they. I, I felt at this point. It makes no sense to stay put. You got to sell off some of your assets. GM and tr- Steve Mills could not orchestrate the trade. Yeah, G- Steve Mills couldn't. Wait. Well, he isn't the orchestrator. He's the GM, though. What does he do? Well, he orchestrates other things. He's he's the GM. He's the, he makes Phil's sure. the president. Now, would you say that Steve Mills makes? We always rip on Steve Mills, but you know what? The Knicks are because so he's bad. got the worst job. Well, he's got the best job in sport. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't. He doesn't do anything. Even if he does do things that go wrong, he never. He doesn't get blamed. That's why it's amazing. It's like, well, Phil Jackson's not making. Well, Phil Jackson's not technically the general manager of the Knicks. It's well, Mills, Magic Johnson, but he's the guy making all the right. The, the so shots every, over there. and you, it, it makes you wonder. Maybe Steve Mills is the problem here. Maybe it's not Phil. Maybe it's Mills. Let me ask you something. What do you think Steve Mills does daily? Do you think he's the guy that makes sure all the vending machines are properly, you know, filled? I I don't know what Steve... Pepsis and... But you know what the great thing is? Is we have... We... Every Knicks fan in America is in the dark about the... uh, We have no idea... We see him at the beginning of the year for their welcome back, the new season... Well, and we saw him when they introduced Hornacek as the coach. Well, that's what I'm saying. Usually when a Knicks coach gets fired and they hire someone new, that's when you see Steve Mills. And we don't hear from Phil either, ever. Except, Except when he tells us Saturdays are for the Sabbath. Not for the boys. Not for the boys. What was your, you really, you really love that clip, don't you? Because I, you know why? I a thought, lot of people probably don't even know what you're talking about. Why don't you fill people? Well, the the, the bar was did that kid work for Barstool? I'm so out of the Barstool I loop. I don't, I don't even know. I think he was a, a Barstool fan that ran into Phil Jackson at some point and asked him what Saturdays are for on video, and Phil didn't know. What and Phil didn't know, and he's going, "Wait, it's for the Sabbath, isn't it? For the Sabbath?" And it was funny. But my thing is, is why is Phil entertaining that question and not entertaining why? He rips on Carmelo Anthony on Twitter, or why he couldn't trade Derrick Rose, and now they're going to have nothing to show for that trade, or the fact that they couldn't trade Kyle O'Quinn, or the fact that the Knicks just stink. Why does he answer those questions? Hey, they won last night. But they, beat, they beat the 22 but and 36 But it's the fact that Saturdays are for the Sabbath. The Knicks president of basketball operations needs us to know that Saturdays are for the Sabbath. Thank you, Phil. I just have one quick point to make for you guys. Did you guys know what Steve Mills' original background was? No, I have no idea. Did I don't know anything about Steve Mills. Besides amazing. the fact he's the Knicks was GM, was that off with the Dude, vending machine joke? Yeah, he, he was the account executive in the corporate sponsorship department of the NBA. <laughs> so sense. in no way yes, has so, nothing to do so with basketball. nothing in player personnel. Nothing. But you know what's zero. funny? He's a money zero. Guy. But you, I told you this. He, but but the zero. funny thing is, is before they brought in Phil Mills, was the GM. 
And Mills was the guy in charge. Wasn't he the president of basketball operations? You know, well, he, what was the deal? You know, when Glenn Grunwald was let go, Mills became the GM right. on an interim basis, and then they brought in Phil to be the president of basketball operations. Mixer, That's what happened. So for all intensive purposes, you're right. Steve Mills is a, is a cap guy. Hey, he's the numbers guy. He's a numbers guy. He's the John Isaac of the Knicks. Yeah, and clearly, you know, the numbers well, are going right. With, all the, all right, with yeah. all the success the Knicks have had in the uh, Jackson Mills regime, you know, we see that they're crunching some good numbers up in uh, up at the Garden. <laughs> 607-274-1842. Phone lines are open. Ben in Binghamton wants to talk about the New York Knicks. Ben, what's going on? I'm going to add some fuel to the fire, guys. Um, Phil Jackson deserves the Oscar for the worst general manager, worst front office person in NBA Amen. history. <laughs> he alienates his players. He doesn't get rid of a player um, for someone. They're, they're going to get nothing when Derrick Rose leaves. They could have tried to bring in Rubio. Not that Rubio is the answer to anything, but at least they would have got something And back. he averages nine assists a game. I'm not saying I agree with exactly. you. That's a great point, Ben. I mean, he's not a great point guard, but he probably fits better with what the Knicks are trying to do with Porzingis going forward than Derrick Rose does. Exactly. And, you know, all I want to say is the best player in this draft coming out is Malik Monk from Kent, from Kentucky. Well, whoever gets Monk is going to go right to the top in the in the playoff push. I like Monk too, and thanks for the call, Ben. You're, you're absolutely right. I don't know if he's the best player in the draft, but he's probably one of the best scorers in this draft. And anyone who watched that game yesterday against Florida, Malik Monk had three points at halftime, and he lit it up in the second half. He scored 30 of his 33 in the second half, single-handedly willed Kentucky back down against Florida at home. Impressive performance by Malik Monk. He's one of the best players in the country. He's probably going to be a top-five pick, maybe even a top-three pick in the NBA draft. I don't know the latest mocks, but all the talk is about Monk from Kentucky, Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball this draft yeah. class is really good with talent. And obviously, I guess if the Knicks get lucky, they could have a high lottery pick. But, you know, the Celtics are going to have a top-three pick. The Lakers are going to be in the running. The Sixers are going to be in the running. Who knows who will get Malik Monk, but I agree with you, Ben. I think he's going to be a, a very good NBA player. He's a great scorer. He'd help any team right away. Yeah, Ben, I, just to, to agree with your original point, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. it. It made no sense. It made no sense that Phil Jackson did not make any moves. And, and like we said, we get it. Melo's tough piece to move. It would have been very tough, especially we know Phil, the great the great man of making trades in his Knicks tenure. We, we probably knew it wasn't going to happen. Too many moving parts, too much had to happen to make a Melo deal work. But for him not to move Derrick Rose, I just think it makes no sense. Derrick Rose is not going to be part of the Knicks' future. He's just not. They're not going to pay them. I don't see a situation where they give him the money and the years following this season to bring him back for a long-term deal or, or on a multi-year basis. It's just not going to happen. So if that's the case, why not make a deal and try to get something for him? He's got value. Derrick Rose, I thought, was one of the most interesting players at the deadline to get traded because he did have value. He was valuable to some teams that needed a veteran point guard. He's an expiring contract. And he's an expiring contract, so the money's coming right off the books. It made perfect sense to move him, and Phil once again reminds us that Saturdays are for the Sabbath, and he's not making any trades. Yeah, they needed to move Derrick Rose, because if you want to look at what the Yankees did when they moved yeah, Roll to absolutely. and Andrew Miller, they retooled their entire farm system, and they're ready to win again going forward. Maybe not a championship this year if you're a Yankee fan, but they're going to be competitive, compete for a playoff spot, and then going forward, they're stacked and have a chance to be a championship contender within maybe two years, a lot of people say. The Knicks, not that they could have been a championship contender within two years, but if you get an extra draft pick, or you get a young player, or you get a Ricky Rubio that maybe is now under contract for this season and next season, you create a, a situation where maybe you make yourself better long-term, and the Knicks didn't even bother to do that. That's what's frustrating about the lack of movement, and also talking about the other New York basketball team that we don't touch on much because they stink, the Brooklyn Nets. They didn't move Brooke Lopez because they were asking for two first-round picks for the guy, and by the time they were willing to lower their asking price, it was too late. Boogie Cousins was already a Pelican, and the Pelicans were rumored to have interest in trading for a Brooke Lopez, so bad job by the Nets not moving him. I know you could say, well, maybe they'll move him in the offseason, but Brooke Lopez is a guy that we hear every single year might get traded, and it never happens. When are they going to move this guy? And it just it makes it made so much sense for the Nets to move him. I mean, they're nine and forty eight. It, it makes no sense to keep Brooke Lopez on the roster. 
And you're right. The fact that they, I think, went into this asking for two first-round picks, I think that was way overvaluing Brooks' value. Well, it, and I think his Cousins only got one. That's what I was. Pick. I was about to say. Lopez? You just took the words right out of my mouth. One of the best players in the league did not go for two first-round picks. But Brooke Lopez, who I'm not taking anything away from Brooke Lopez, but he's no Demarcus Cousins. You weren't getting two first-round picks for Demarcus Cousins. I don't know what the uh, excuse me for Brooke Lopez. I don't know what the Nets were trying to do. It seems like they're trying to well maybe we could sneak two first round picks back because we gave up god knows how many first round picks to the boston celtics but not a good job by the brooklyn nets they should have moved brook lopez just like the knicks should have found a way to move derrick rose it just didn't make much sense it makes zero sense to have brook lopez on the nets roster going forward this season it just is it's mind-boggling brook lopez is still the last ever new jersey net that's left on the current nets Think about that. I mean, he's the only. I feel like he's the only net anyone could name nowadays. He's been loyal, man. I mean, that guy has been on some really, really awful, awful teams, teams, and he's Brutal. had to endure it. He's had to be the only guy there that is kind of recognizable by the fans now, year after year. I know they brought in Jeremy Lin, but he's in year one and he's been hurt this entire season. It feels like. I mean, Brooke Lopez has been through a lot. That guy's played a lot of games with the Nets, and it's tough to see a guy like that go. But if you're a Nets fan, you know, I mean, you're all about trying to get picks and build for the future. I know they got a pick for Bardanovich, but they could have maybe got more for Brooke Lopez. I bet they probably move him in the offseason because what are you doing holding on to him? It, it doesn't make any sense. And also, if you're Brooke Lopez, don't you want to get a chance to win? Well, I think he wants to be I traded. Mean, that, I'm sure Brooke Lopez wants to go to a team. He says he wants to stay there. He wants to be loyal. But you know what? I get that. I think he's going about it the right way, and I hear his quotes and whatnot. But you have to think deep down that Brooke Lopez wants to get a chance to play on a, a real contender. I know he had a couple of times with the Nets when they had Pierce and Garnett, uh, and they were a playoff team. But but to really play on a contending team, especially now, I mean, playing on a team that's got nine wins. Nine Wins. How about this tweet from Ohm Young Misuk? I don't know how to pronounce his name, but you know who I'm talking oh, about. Oh, Ohm, big big Ohm, Ohm guy. He covers the Giants. He now he covers the Brooklyn Nets. He tweeted, Brooke Lopez is like Wolverine. He survives everything. Countless coaching changes, trading deadlines, and teammates. Very true. Brooke Lopez has survived nine coaches since he's been in the NBA. Lawrence Frank, Tom Barreyes, I don't even remember him. Kiki Vandeweghe, who I loved. Avery Johnson. P.J. Carlissimo, Jason Kidd, Lionel Hollins, Tony Brown, and now Kenny Atkinson. Nine years, three arenas, IZOD, Prudential, and now Barclays. Two training centers in two in two states. Yeah. And as many teammates as there to really count. He's been to the playoffs a couple years with the Nets. They won one playoff series since he's been there. You feel for a guy like that. He's had to endure a lot of losing. Especially but going through. Year, he's a net. Especially looking at it this season with the Nets, where it's really he he's a bona fide NBA uh, big man, and he's had a, a very nice NBA career. I mean, he's on a team with no talent. They have no talent at this level, and it, it's a shame that he is that he has to play on a team that's got nine wins. I mean, they're they're nine and forty eight. They're the worst team in the league by far. You are listening to Jake Asman and Dan Budick right here on the Asman and Budick Show. Follow the show on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show. <laughs> <laughs> the same song. You know why I did that, right? Play the other one. Just, just for the, you know. Do you know why I did that? <laughs> because we had that great commercial with the... Yeah, it was a great commercial. Yeah, but play the other bet. We're going to go back to break for a second, and then we're going to come back with the other bet. All right, we're going to break in. All right, we're back. <laughs> now, here's the drop. Get ready for the drop. It's great. It's right after this. Beautiful. And love what's in my ear going, take it. Right there. there. <laughs> we used that during our WICB football broadcast. Great man. Great guy. Host of the Boston Beat. Tune in. Noon. How long should I let this go for? Noon the 2 p.m. You can lower it. It's like killing my ears right now. As for Beautic Show on VICRadio.org, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, you've been hearing a lot of interesting conversations going on off air tonight. Make sure you check out the podcast later this week for all our best segments, including this one coming up that I think will be a lot of fun. You can check that out on iTunes and ICTV.org. It's sports Oscars time, and for those who are only listening on radio and who are not watching the Oscars, they are still going on. So we're up against the Oscars as we deliver. So we have our great Oscars the here. The real Oscars, the sports Oscars. I teased one of them earlier, so we'll just say it right off the bat. The best picture, for example, would be the Chicago Cubs winning the 2016 World Series. We know the storyline. 
it was like a movie, they say, and we'll give them the best picture for what they accomplished. But we have so many categories. We'll just name them right now to get, get you know, wet the beak a little bit. Best drama, best romantic comedy, best comedy, best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, unsupporting actor, more on that later, best ensemble, best director, costume design, which will relate, of course, to jerseys. Best horror movie, best new actor, best sound editing. You somehow got that one in there, Dan. <laughs> and best collapse, which we just thought was funny. And, we, and these are some great categories and important categories that in the last year of sports. sports. All, all coming back to sports. They're all going to parlay oh, somehow yeah. to sports. They directly correlate with sports. So we, We're we not talking about cinema here. I mean, come on. You know, best picture. You know, the, if the Cubs were a movie, they'd win the best it picture. It was a great picture. It That's was a great story. So we'll get it started here. Best drama. And if you want to call in while we're doing this make some picks 607-274-1847 yeah, nothing set in stone this is, is is very conversational this is is a tentative list but this is what we thought would would win these awards fu- these these categories a fun way to wrap up the show it's the first time we've done this and we've gone up against the Oscars at least the last 2 years oh absolutely during this time but best picture, we said the Cubs winning the World Series. I also thought Cleveland being down 3-1, winning the NBA Finals, LeBron bringing that title home for the city of Cleveland. That was in the running, but you know, the Cubs won 108 years without you can't, I mean, those two things, I think, are are just right on the top. But again, when the Cubs won the World Series, 108 years, that's got to be best picture. I had to give it to them. Let's go to best drama. I'll say mine. We only have one written down here, but there's a couple I just thought of as well. Best drama has to be the Kevin Durant versus yeah. Russell Westbrook I think it's... It's not even a comparison. It's hard because what a drama between the way Kevin left Oklahoma City, the fact that he went to Golden State, everything that happened over the last two weeks with them, uh, when they played head to head, when the Thunder played the Warriors, and then of course All Star Weekend. There is no doubt, best drama KD versus Ross. Now, I think it's. It was, I, I think it was a great, great battle. Now between it was the great. Two. They were trash talking each other. You thought maybe they would throw some punches. You didn't know what. I was, was hoping we get a little physical. And then we had the drama of the NBA All Star game a week ago. What was going to happen between the two of them and KD Lodge, Russell Westbrook, and Ali Oop? And people went nuts on social media. They enjoyed it. The whole thing. Best drama. I think it's Kevin Durant versus Russell Westbrook. I also think that if you want to put OBJ and the kicking net in there for a drama, you can. We have that in another category coming up, but there's a couple different dramas out there in sports. If you think of another one, you can tweet at the show at Asma Budic Show or give us a call like Alec in Brooklyn is. Right now, he's got an award, it says here, for Kevin Durant speaking of the devil. So, Alec, give it to us. I think Kevin Durant absolutely gets unsupported actor. Unsupported actor for Kevin Durant. Now, to, to give you a little hint on what I was thinking with unsupported actor, we had Carmelo Anthony in that role, or at least I did, just because he doesn't have any supporting cast around him. But you can interpret these awards however you like. Why do you think Kevin Durant for unsupporting actor? Well, just because he left Russ, and because of that, he gets this award hands down. He's left his teammate, and... He was just unsupportive to all of OKC and the fans that he got for all of the years. All right, you know what? It's a little different take on the award, but I like it. No, I, he was unsupportive. I, he was unsupportive. He's a horrible man. I, I like it, Alec. <laughs> you know what? It's a different take on the award, but you know what? We'll, we'll throw it at him. Thanks for the call. That's an interesting take. I, listen, you can interpret it however you want. I mean, if you want to interpret, you know, best drama is like maybe the Cubs coming back down 3-1 to win the World Series. That's pretty dramatic. Too. So you can interpret it however you want. We'll get to unsupporting actor. I said Carmelo and I wrote Lala as a joke in the rundown. Just because year after year, this guy doesn't have a team around him and people want to throw him out of town. And whatever your thoughts are on Melo, there's no doubt that he's never had a great supporting cast around him outside of that one year the Knicks won 54 games and he was third in MVP voting. So say whatever you want about Carmelo, but he has not had a great cast. Now, if you want to interpret it how Alec did, that Kevin Durant was unsupportive because he left you know, the city of Oklahoma. It makes sense. You know? I, I don't disagree. I think that's a I think that's a good one. What's the next one coming up now, Dan? Next one coming up. Uh, well, you kind of kind of hinted on it before. Best romantic comedy. I think this was, uh, you know, a lot of things over the last calendar year in sports uh, were romantic and funny. But I think there's one love affair. I think that New York fans really captivated and really were drawn into this past football season, and that's the great Odell Beckham Jr. and the kicking net. 
It was romantic. It was beautiful. And it was pretty funny to watch. It, we loved it. OBJ taking something over the top. He never does that. No, it's, you know. Never happens. But that was funny. It was enjoyable. He wins the best romantic comedy. And I just thought of one. This is not one of our categories, but the least romantic comedy. Ryan Fitzpatrick and Brandon Marshall's relationship. Who could forget? Brandon Marshall wanted Fitz back, went to bat for him in the media, said all these great things about him, said he's going down with the ship if Fitz is going down with him. And the Jets season <laughs> went down, and Brandon Marshall went down with the Ryan Fitzpatrick Titanic ship. That's a funny one. Least romantic comedy, the relationship between those two guys in 2015, it was great. 2016, not so much. I like it. That's a good one. You should have thrown that in there. Best comedy also involves a, a potential New York team here, depending how you want to go with this. Well, I think there's a few there's a few New York teams that really could could take this. You can honestly put the Knicks in this one. The you Nets. Put, you could put the Nets. I mean, the Nets at least appear to have good leadership. It just what they inherited was already a mess. The Knicks, you have no idea about Phil and everything. So the Knicks, I think, are the front runners for best comedy. If you want to go to the national scene. How about the Sacramento Kings? They just traded away arguably one of the best players well, I, in the NBA for nothing. I don't know. What, They're the comedy show of the league Yeah, right now. they really are the comedy show the of the Browns, league. The Browns, if you want to go to the NFL. The Browns. And the thing with the Kings is it's not just the franchise. Like the Knicks, you look at the franchise, but the, the, the last 10 days of the Sacramento Kings, I think, wins best comedy. The fact that they traded uh, Boogie Cousins to the Pelicans didn't get... You know, at what to the extent of a package that everyone thought they were going to get. And the fact that their general manager, Vladi Divac, said that two days prior he had a better deal That's on comedy. the table. That's funny. That is best and, comedy. And Congratulations and to the Sacramento Kings. They did it. They did it. They did it. Not to mention, did they have a better offer, but it was from the same team. It was from the Pelicans. I think that's the best part. Well, that that's, best you're part. right. That, that is, is the, the best, best part. part. Is that it was the Pelicans, the team they eventually made the trade Vla- you, had, you could also make the coin, you know, I mean, yeah, Vladdy Divac could, brutal, could be best brutal, comedy. I mean, the, the Sacramento Kings last 10 days, I think it's very, very funny. Now, he may not be a great GM. But he's very tall. But you could also give him best actor, because when he played, he flopped a lot. <laughs> He was a flopper. <laughs> he was a flopper. If you want to interpret best actor that way, we're actually going to do best actor right best now. Best negotiator. We interpreted it best negotiator. That, you know, the, he's a he's a great deal maker. He's a great like deal. Him and Phil Jackson in the uh, negotiation hall of fame. They, they're both excellent negotiators, as best, we've seen. Best actor was. It depends once again all how you interpret the award. We did it as if if Leonardo DiCaprio was the best actor or Tom Hanks is the best actor. Who's the most dominant athlete? Who's the version of that in their field? I think this one has to go to LeBron James. Hands down. I don't think you could make another case. If you want to talk baseball, maybe Mike Trout. You know, football, you could make a case, obviously, for Brady or you know Aaron Rodgers. But I think as far as dominant athletes go on the planet, I think it starts with LeBron James. I gave him the best actor. Absolutely. Best actor. He's on – probably you want to keep going on the movie route. He's every year in a great movie. He's Every year he's in the NBA Finals. Every year he has his team on the cusp or winning a championship. Uh, LeBron James, definitely best actor. And he might be in another Oscar-winning film at the end of this year. If you could, never know. If he could take down the Golden State Warriors. Again. They add Kevin Durant to a team that won 73 games. It's a great movie. I mean, you're talking about a movie about LeBron, about how great he is, and also... You know about the other best actor of the NBA, Michael Jordan. The talks will only continue if he wins another title. We'll see how that unfolds. Now we'll do best actress, and of course you had to pick a, a female athlete for this one. I have two. I want to get your thoughts. First off, you can really give it to Serena Williams every year for how dominant she is. She really is the most dominant female athlete. She's the best dominant female athlete, I think, in the last 10 years without question. It's hard to make a case for anyone else. Best actress, though, I'll also give you one. Simone Biles of the U.S. gymnastic team. She dominated in Rio. She's the best gymnast ever, a lot of people say. She was the, the talk of the summer games out in Brazil, or down in Brazil, excuse me. I think Simone Biles, if I had to pick between the two, just based off the year that she had, you can always give it to Serena, just like you can always give it to LeBron, the MVP award. I'll go Simone Biles for a best female actress. Best supporting actor. We have two names written down, uh, Kyrie Irving and Clay Thompson. And, and you know what? It, it, you look at those two players and they're almost, you think, as supporting actors and you don't necessarily think of them because the impact they have, but they kind of are supporting actors. Well, they're not the best players on their own team. That's, the that's what players. makes them the supporting actor, That's though. the only reason why. I mean, you put Kyrie Irving on any team and chances are he's their best player. There's maybe three or four teams that Kyrie Irving goes to that he's not the, already the best player on the team. That's how good he is. Clay Thompson, a lot. You know, and I don't know if it's three or four teams. That's why I think Kyrie deserves his award. But I do think if you put Clay Thompson on, you know, maybe all but 
seven or eight teams, he's the best player in the NBA. I mean, he's that type of player. He's a great two-way player. Obviously, Kyrie, you can make a case, was the most valuable player of the finals of at least that Game 7. He hit that shot that was ultimately the dagger. I mean, they're both terrific players. I lean towards Kyrie because Kyrie's got the hardware coming off that NBA title uh, victory last year over the Warriors. Next uh, category is unsupporting actor. We already kind of we hinted off that we gave it to Carmelo Anthony. We had a caller on the line that said Kevin Durant interpreted the one. award a little differently. You want to give a legacy award to someone? And Chernock, you'll appreciate this as a Rangers fan. Henrik Lundqvist, because year after year, this guy is the best goalie in the NHL or one of the best yes, goalies sir. in the NHL. This year, I know he's he's had his ups and downs, but he's back on track. He's played well of late. And he has never had a team that's been good enough to win a Stanley Cup. It has not been his fault, but people like to blame him. Similar to Carmelo, but I think Lundqvist is you know in the upper echelon of his sport a lot longer than Melo's been. And a little more winning, and especially he, uh, in New he's York. He's been a better player if you want to compare the sports than Melo, and that's no knock on Melo. But Lundqvist has never had a great supporting cast around him outside of maybe a couple years, and the Rangers came awfully close, but they couldn't get it done. Best Ensemble. This was tough because tough because you can really look in a lot of different sports and a lot of different categories. You know, if you go by teams, you could say the Cavs, you could say the Cubs, you could say Villanova for what they accomplished. You want to look at maybe Clemson for winning the national title in college football. I went UConn women's basketball. I think we both agreed on this. I think it's got to be UConn. They won a hundred straight games. They won four straight NCAA tournaments. They're unbeatable. I mean, they do not lose. And when they are so dominant, how do you not? You can't single out just one player collectively. I think they're the best ensemble out there. They're the, not only the best ensemble out there. They are the best just wrecking force of a team in sports today. They've won over 100 straight games. I mean, how is that possible in this day and age that a team is able to win over 100 straight games? It's remarkable. It's one of the most remarkable things in the history of sports. It really is. And best director, this was tough because when I first saw this as a category, I thought, well, could we give it to Tom Brady maybe for directing the 25-3 to Right, and that could be interpreted that way. It can be, but people also said to me, and I think we had this discussion as a staff earlier, how about we give it to a front office executive that kind of directed the season? So obviously, naturally, it would go to Phil Jackson. (laughs) If you want to have the opposite of the best director award, the worst director award, you can give it to Mr. Divac, or you can give it to Mr. Jackson. (laughs) Mr. Jackson. I'm sorry, Mr. Jackson. Mr. Phil Jackson. (laughs) Best director, Theo Epstein of the Chicago Cubs. He had a five-year plan. They won the Super Bowl. You can also give it to Bill Belichick, as much as it pains me to say. Year after year, they're great. They won the Super Bowl. They came back down 25-3. He was also the coach of the team. I'll lean towards Theo just because I can't stand the New England Patriots. And Theo obviously broke the curse with not only the Red Sox, but now the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, and I think just the fact that Theo came into such a terrible situation in Chicago. And, you know, they were really they were one of the worst teams in the league. In just a couple of years, he got that team back on track, made it to the championship series two years ago, and then to get back and win the World Series last year. And to break the curse uh, of the Billy Goat and also be the general manager of the team that broke the curse of the Bambino, uh, Theo Epstein, I think it's it's best director. I think that's it's, it's, it's got to go to him. I can't think of anyone else. Next award of the sports Oscars here on the Asman and Budic Show. Costume design. We had a couple of choices. This is tough. There's so many good jerseys out there, and if you're a classic guy, maybe you like the Yankee pinstripes, or you like the Penn State, you know, blue, navy, blue, and white. If you're a classic guy, I love Michigan's uniforms that they have. They have now. great ones, yeah. And I think those are just really clean looking, really sleek. I think those are awesome. A couple other suggestions: the L.A. Kings jerseys. So if you're an NHL fan, I think a lot of people like the Kings black and white. The San Diego Chargers, though, those powder blue, and I'll give it to the Chargers because for at least this year they were still in. San Diego. Now they're there. Are, of course, the LA Chargers. My pick, those powder blues that the San Diego Chargers still wear on occasion. I like the Chargers powder blues. I like the LA Kings uniforms too. What about the LA Dodgers? They have classic white great uniforms. Jerseys. They have great white uniforms too. So there's always, I feel like with jerseys, you know, there's some teams that change them often, but there's a lot of teams that, like the Yankees, they're never changing their uniforms. It's, it's, they can win best jerseys every year, best costumes. Just because they have the classic look. It's the look. classic look. I like the Cubs jerseys too. Cubs have great ones, yeah. See, this is one of those awards you could break it down by sport and baseball. I love right. the Yankees, you know, you love the Cubs. There's a lot of great classic uniforms that you have in baseball. And then you look at football, you can talk NFL and you can talk college football. College football too. There are so there are so many different jerseys out there. But I'll give it to the Chargers just because I mean San Diego deserves something. They, they, they gotta team. get something after losing. They, they won an Asman and Butick Sports Oscar. <laughs> they, so that makes them feel really good about themselves. Best horror movie. This was probably the scariest movie I ever saw. The last quarter and a half of Super Bowl 51, the Atlanta Falcons, best horror movie. Now, Thank you. I will say this. Best movie ever. 
the first half of Super Bowl 51. That's right. Uh, the tale of two halves, that game. Really. The now, ta- a tale of two tales is our former, uh, one of our former producers, Jake Goldberg, would call it. Don't even call him a producer. <laughs> now, I'll give you... Best, tale of two tales. Best, I'll give you this. Best short film, Tom Brady's Interception in Super Bowl 51. That was a great short that film. That was great. It was about 20 seconds, maybe total. 25 seconds. Best short film I've ever watched. Best new actor. I mean, you look at the, the campaign he this put last year. Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the Year. It's got to be Gary Sanchez. The impact he had, I think, what did he get? 300? 299. 299. I mean, he was unbelievable. And one of the best stretches I think a rookie has ever had in the history of sports. Probably the best stretch yeah, ever. Yeah, Definitely. Best sound editing. I, how did you get this one in there? Well, I, it had just come up on the on the awards when we were making the list, and I said, you know what, we, we, there is something, and it goes to the NFC champion Atlanta Falcons for pumping in crowd noise. Excellent editing, and they take <laughs> the award. Best sound editing in twenty seven in twenty sixteen twenty seventeen. Thank you, you very much. I, I thought you could also maybe have Atlanta Falcons fans watching the last quarter and a half of Super Bowl fifty one. I yes, I think they they could fit into this category as well. We have to do a lot of probably you know bleeping out what was being said, but if you want to talk about sound editing, I mean it could be done. And you know our final category. Best collapse. Now there were a lot of things that could have could have went into this. We could have went uh, the O seven New York Mets. We could have went the O seven Mets. Well, we're talking this year, but we could have went. Oh, I just love the. Pack. We could have went the Sorry. Indians. We could have went the Indians. Just like you got fired. Well, from <laughs> we could have went the Indians for blowing a three one lead. We could have went the Golden State Warriors in their seventy three win season blowing a 3-1 lead. But instead, we will once again go back to Houston, Texas, Super Bowl 51, <laughs> the best collapse. It was a 20 well 28 to 3 game. A 28 to 3 game with 8 minutes to go in the third quarter and the Atlanta Falcons lost. Never forget, the Atlanta Falcons. That's is the worst collapse I've ever seen. They blew a, 20 a 25 point lead. I see all these sons and all these, you know, friend of ours, friend of the show, and our friend Anthony from home. He's obsessed with the Warriors he collapse. He has a shirt that says the Warriors blew. He's a obsessed with it. He loves it. So why well, want the shirt that says the Atlanta Falcons blew a 28 to three lead? Where's that shirt? But not even blew a 28. Like it, 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 the Super Bowl is one game. There was eight minutes to go in the third quarter. The game was over. All the Atlanta Falcons had to do was not act like complete nimcompoops out there. And then what do they do? They turn over the football, uh, and they decided to pass. They threw the ball threw instead the ball. of sticking with the running attack that did them so well early in the game. Now, not to rehash you know, something that was uh, talked about at Nausea in this past month, they ran the ball three times once they were up 28-3. to Three times. So, to quote you, they were nincompoops out there. They did not right. run the ball. And they they so, so, so if we had to go, so let's add a category here. Nincompoops. Biggest nincompoops? Biggest. <laughs> the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> worst or or worst performance in a championship in a championship game. Kyle Shanahan. Can we can we can we give him that award? Can Kyle Shanahan get an award here for his offensive play calling in the second half of Super Bowl Fifty One? Can can we get Kyle an award? Let's see. I mean. I'm fine with giving that there? to him. I think he, I think it, 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 he earned it. He earned it. Just like he earned the job to be the head coach of the 49ers. Good luck to Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of this new head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Got a heck of a job worst, ahead of him. I, I got the award for you. The worst performance in a featured film. We're calling the Super Bowl featured, featured film. Featured film? Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan. Worst performance in a featured film. That about does it for the awards. Thanks for listening to the Asman and Budick Show. To keep up with the guys, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show.